Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Grr, I go. That's some bad hat, Harry. It's a cool show. Good idea, not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful from your life. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis and today we'll be discussing The White Lotus. Also, I guess Paul Mitzi of the Swapcast podcast hasn't left our Google Meets from last week and since he's still on chat, he's joining me too. Hello, Paul. Uh, I'm so sick of sitting in this chair. It's been so long. I've got thank, boils. Thank goodness you're here because unfortunately Damask Leary has had to pull out the last minute, so she will not be joining us this week. Uh, she should be back for our off-topic hot topic episode in a week's time. But right now, congratulations, Paul. You are now the co-host of the Hunting Seasons podcast. I finally made it happen. All I had to do was lock Damask up in her basement. <laughs> I figure uh, that at this current trajectory next week, you'll be introducing the podcast and we'll be the guests. And that's how that'll work. If you're on it at all. If I'm on it at all, if you allow us on, that's true. What have you been up to? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, your episodes record a lot more frequently than ours. So I sure. still haven't recorded the next episode of our show. <laughs> Um, that was, I think you told us last time that's going to be, uh, Monkey Bone, Mon- yes? Monkey Bone, yeah, we were, we were actually supposed to record it last week, but we're going to record it, to, uh, tomorrow, so. It's good to know that other podcasts also have scheduling problems as well, and not just ours, that's good. Yes. <laughs> Alright, let's not waste any time and get to our spoiler-free review of The White Lotus Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in Review. The White Lotus is an American satirical comedy drama and recently confirmed anthology television series created, written and directed by Mike White, known for writing on Dawson's Creek, Freaks and Geeks and the 2003 film School of Rock where he also played Jack Black's roommate Ned Schneebly. Filmed in Hawaii in late 2020, HBO approved White to create a new show that could be filmed within COVID-19 restrictions, which was then filmed in Hawaii in late 2020 and premiered on HBO on July 11th. 2021. The show features an ensemble cast including Murray Bartlett, Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge, Alexandra Daddario, Fred Heshinger, Jake Lacey, Brittany O'Grady, Natasha Rothwell, Sydney Sweeney, Steve Zahn and superstar Molly Shannon and follows three groups of wealthy hotel guests staying at the luxurious White Lotus Resort. Season one of The White Lotus consists of six episodes each coming in at around 56 minutes and took us approximately five hours and 35 minutes to watch. Only days ago, the series was renewed for a second season which will tell the story of a different group of travellers during their stay at another White Lotus property. So, Paul... The question I was going to ask Damask is, why did we decide to review The White Lotus? <laughs> uh, but since you're here, I actually think you might have been the one that pitched us 
doing the White Lotus. You may have asked us online, hey, are you going to review this? Yeah, like when I started watching it, I was like, oh, this is really good. Um, and we were discussing something else. And then I'm like, are you going to do this? And you kind of seem like a bit iffy on it. Like you had just started watching it and weren't really into it. Mm. And I was like, I think you should keep going because I'm loving it. Sure. But, um, yeah. It's a show that wasn't really on my radar until I started hearing a bit of chatter on it. And then um, I was like, oh, this just sounds like something right up my alley. And then when I found out Mike White was the showrunner, then I was sold. So you were a fan of Mike White previously? Yes. Um, so I'm going to get into that in my spiel. So. Okay, sure. I'll let you do that then. Because <laughs> funnily enough, I didn't really know who Mike White, White Rock was. I knew him probably just from seeing his face as like Ned Schneebly in School of Rock. I don't think I knew, as I always forget that uh, it's Richard Linklater who directed that film, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that Mike White was the writer of that film. I love School of Rock. Then to find out he wrote on Freaks and Geeks and all these other things as well, it's like, oh, I am a fan of this guy. I just never knew it. Um, But yeah, the way White Lotus sort of appeared was really interesting. It was Mm -hmm. on Foxtel and Binge here in Australia. Mm -hmm. I can't remember how we started watching it. I'm pretty sure Steph was the one who put us onto it. We watched the pilot. And then after that, I started seeing Talk Online. I didn't keep watching it, though Steph did. And then you were talking about it and the whole internet was talking about it. And so it became this like just one of those organically rose from nothing sort of shows. It wasn't a big like advertising mm. campaign, at least I never saw it. It just sort of organically became a talking point. So Yeah, I think it's one of those rare occasions that the quality of the show then seeped into the conversation mm. and, you know, it was the word of mouth that really made this, like, the internet's obsession for a few weeks. So. Totally. And it's one of those shows as well I can see now that's been uh, renewed for a season two that between now and then they'll realise they've got a hit on their hands. Mm. More and more people will see it before season two comes out and it'll have that big boost in ratings come season two as well mm-hmm. or just gain notoriety. So it'll be interesting to see how season two comes about and how it's received. And I think it, this is another case for week-to-week release schedules like i think the fact that it was weekly episodes really made this the talking point and the you know the water cooler show that it is one one of the things i'm gonna talk about my review actually is although i watched it basically over three nights so two episodes a day essentially Mm -hmm. i could see why this would have been a really good week-to-week show as well um but Mm -hmm. that's getting ahead of ourselves Mm -hmm. paul would you like to give us your spoiler free review Sure. (laughs) Mike White is one of the most fascinating writers in Hollywood. He's made some fantastic mainstream comedies in School of Rock and Orange County, some dreadful mainstream comedies in Pitch Perfect 3 and The Emoji Movie, (laughs) some fascinating indie movies of varying quality like The Great Year of the Dog and the not-so-great Brad Status. But it's Mike White's work in television that, in my opinion, has been the strongest of his career. And I'm not referring to his seasons as a contestant in The Amazing Race and Survivor. Which, you know, that's worth noting, though. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a Survivor fan, but I've always liked The Amazing Race, and good for him. Yeah. (laughs) Did he win? Did he win any of those? Uh, Or is that spoilers? Yeah, maybe spoilers. We won't say. We won't say it. The White Lotus continues the work he started in his criminally underseen earlier HBO drama, Enlightened, breaking down themes of privilege and what it means to be a good person. He does this while always presenting a morally grey world where there are always two understandable sides to every conflict, making every interaction that much more engrossing and complex. Add to that, 
The White Lotus starts with a murder mystery of sorts. And while it isn't addressed except for the beginning of the first episode and the end of the last, this adds a delicious sense of dread, suspense and anxiety that rarely lets up all season. This is supported by what is surely to become an iconic musical score that almost becomes its own character on the show. The cast is phenomenal, filled wall to wall with heavy hitters. Many of these characters are morally ambiguous at best and downright terrible at worst, but they are all performed to perfection. This script asks a lot of these actors. Many scenes switch from straight comedy to heartfelt exchanges to melodrama, and they manage to keep it grounded no matter how much the story threatens to spin out of control. I love my time with The White Lotus. Maybe it's because traveling isn't really an option for us down under at the moment, Despite the dread, it felt like a little one-hour vacation to a Hawaiian luxury hotel every week. And right now, even if I have to share that with some terrible people and the threat of a dead body, I am totally willing to go there. Very nice. Uh, You mentioned before we started that I had struggled a little bit with the pilot. Mm -hmm. And I stand by that to a degree. I do think the pilot is weirdly constructed in what it's doing. I think if you were to take, because you were talking about how it starts with a bit of a murder mystery, and I don't think it's mm-hmm. a spoiler to say, the opening scene sort of sets up, because what it does is it doesn't, it begins in media res, where it shows you something a week in the future and then comes back to the present and then we mm-hmm. spend the rest of the show getting back to that moment. And if you were to take out that moment at the start, that original scene that's, you know, a week in the future... Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the show would have been very compelling if you just watched that pilot on its own. It's just a bunch of people <laughs> of lots of money, extremely white, showing up to a hotel and then booking in and like having their first night in a hotel. It's not <laughs> yeah. like the most compelling thing because there's no hook at that stage. It does start yeah. in, in media res and I think there's criticisms to be made for that. But that being said, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I... A while ago, a while ago, predicted that it was going to one day be a remake or a reimagining of the Love Boat as a TV series, and yeah. maybe this is kind of what we're going to get. Maybe this is what we we deserve these days. Um, this is a a cast of just excruciating assholes, and we've talked about this a lot before, where that can be either really fun to watch, or it can be. Something you don't you don't want to be here anymore. You don't want to spend any time with these people. And luckily for me, and for everybody, I think watching, um, I had a really really good time with the White Lotus overall. Um, it's a luxurious yet compelling examination of white privilege and economic classism with a vague but unmissable unmissable sinister undertone. Um, I think the music does a lot for that. It is an incredible score. The opening theme song that plays during the opening credits every episode has been stuck in my head for days now. And I keep humming it to myself and thinking I must be, look like a mad person. Um, <laughs> but beyond all that, like this show is just so well written. It's such strong writing. It's all these little moments that happen that add up over time to create a full picture. It's not like... There are like it's very funny at times. It can be very melodramatic at times, certainly. But I don't think it's like really like uh, telling a suspenseful story the whole time. It just builds and builds and builds and builds really meticulously. Just little moments here and there. Not necessarily like I have to pay attention to this for clues, but just like getting a bigger picture of all the people that at play here. Um, 
I, I really like that the tone is not extreme in that way. It talk it talks about things without having to like have the big sit down discussion about what privilege is and like what classism is and all these sorts of things. It just sort of lets it all unfurl in front of you because of the people that are talking on screen. One criticism or one discussion I did want to have when we get to the spoiler talk though is whether there were enough people of color in the show to talk about the things it was. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an argument both ways that this story is kind of deliberately maybe keeping people of color at a certain distance for this story, Mm -hmm. which again is easy to say as white people (laughs) about how that may or may not work, but I think it's worth examining as well. Mm-hmm. I think the show is really, really well directed and the cinematography is particularly good as well. There's this hallway shot that features in every episode just about that is just really entrancing and uneasy and it goes along with the score and it's just there's just enough little elements, slow-mo shots here and there, the way that this, the, the landscape is shot to create this just tiny sense of unease that really, really... Um, just paints the the picture with a beautiful brush. Performance-wise, you're 100% right. The, the cast is fantastic from start to finish. Murray Bartlett as Armand, the hotel manager in particular, I think thought really stood out. Someone online said, and I can't remember who, Bazzy Faulty walked so Armand could run, and I fucking agree. <laughs> like, it, if this is like the 2020s version of what Basil Faulty would be, I think it's a perfect examiner. Um, uh, way of putting that and then Jennifer Coolidge who I've certainly enjoyed in the past but she is a fucking gift she is incredible in this show mm-hmm. just some of my favourite moments little moments too are are her scenes just incredible uh, this as you said is a very good week to week show I think the format of the show is really good as well every episode is a day at the hotel sort of starts with waking up going to get breakfast at the buffet usually some poolside afternoon stuff and then they're back for dinner in the evening and then they go mm-hmm. to bed and then you know you hit midnight basically and you then you move into the next episode and the same structure there's something really I really enjoy that that formula that just sort of again is changed and manipulated and felt through in every episode as we build toward the climax it's really really good use of the television format I think and like you this is funny I wrote the exact same thing if nothing else I'm just left wanting to go on a holiday. And like, <laughs> and which I don't know is the right takeaway considering what this show is about. Not at all. <laughs> and I and I totally get that. That probably comes from a massive place of privilege. But fuck, I just love nothing more than to go to like the White Lotus right now. Um, what would you rank this season out of five stars, Paul? Uh, um, I, I'm going to be predictable and do the same as last episode. I'm going to give this a 4.5. I absolutely I, love this show. I am also giving it a 4.5, uh, which on our my scale is somewhere between excellent and masterful. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really, really that good. The only reason I probably wouldn't give it a 5, as I've talked about before, it's almost like that love factor. Is this mm-hmm. a show I'm going to come back to like obsessively? Is this a show I'm going to walk come back to as a warm blanket when I scroll through and say oh White Lotus maybe I should just watch that again probably not but I really enjoyed my time with it I would highly recommend it if I was to watch it a second time I think it would be actually a really good rewatch there'd be a lot of details and things to consider um, from the beginning of the show that maybe make have a different context once you've got to the end of the show and I really look forward to season two and I'm super happy that's like going to be an anthology series the idea of just like going to a different White Lotus location and then having a new group of 
people come and stay and see their week at this hotel. That, that, that sounds like an absolute treat and a fantastic TV show we could be watching for years. Yeah, that being said, I would be also be happy to like follow these characters again and see where they're up to. As much as I love the idea of the anthology, I, I kind of want to see where these characters are going. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we get into our deep dive discussion, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys the podcast to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. Hey, Paul, have you reviewed the podcast? Um... No. <laughs> you. What do you call them on your show? Pieces of shit? Pieces of shit. We also have a new one, um, DPW, which comes from uh, the movie My Brother the Pig, and it I stands for Dehydrated Poop Worm. So. <laughs> well, you, what is it, DHW? D- Paul's DPW. A DH- DPW. Don't be a DPW. Yeah. Uh, and also, just in case that wasn't enticing enough, uh, <laughs> if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. Are you a fan of Buffy? I am a huge fan of Buffy. I grew up with a giant um, ca- a cardboard cutout of Sarah Michelle Gellar in my bedroom growing really? up. Really? Yes. I was obsessed with Sarah Michelle Gellar, yeah. uh, we, as a lot of men were. Now, that is interesting, though. Uh, well, I suppose it, you're a big Hillary Duff fan too, though. Yeah, no, but it is like it's it's a cliche at this point. If you were gay in the late '90s um, and living at home still, you had Sarah Michelle Gellar pictures everywhere, and um, your parents I didn't realize British, I was yeah, gay in the late '90s. Yeah, yeah, it's like how to know somebody's closeted gay <laughs> is go in their room and they've got Buffy posters everywhere. We would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends and family who you think might also enjoy listening. Next week, we'll be back with an off-topic, hot-topic episode, uh, followed the week after by our review of Sex Education Season 2. If you'd like to contribute a question, topic, or story to off-topic, hot-topic, or if you have any thoughts on sex education or The White Lotus, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include in a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at HuntingSCast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for The White Lotus Season 1. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. 
From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of The White Lotus. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of The White Lotus up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Is there anywhere you would like to start in our deep dive discussion, Paul? Well, I just want to acknowledge... Murray Bartlett's performance. Yeah. As someone that has worked in retail, in sure. customer service, mm-hmm. the way he deals with Jake Lacey's character, the way when he's so furious, but he deals with it in the way that he's acting too nice yeah. with the gritted teeth. I just could relate to that so deeply. And that like and I read up afterwards he did work in the service industry in real life before I mean, he actors, became an actor. Actors often do work yes. in hospitality and service y- industry, sure. Yes, and I know that he used that as a springboard for this. And, like, it's a performance that only someone that's worked in customer service could deliver, uh, and it was pitch perfect. Um, and just the character as a whole, I just thought... He he just made this show. Like I love the show as a whole, but he was the heart of this show for sure. Um, even though you know, obviously, his character went in some very dark places. Heart is a really interesting word for it. I, yeah. I certainly think he's like he's the centerpiece of the show. Like he is mm-hmm. the. I suppose that works as heart as well. Like it is the se- like everything revolves around him to some degree, or he connects all those threads in his own vague way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in fact, I do, uh, we're in spoilers, so I can say this. It's one of my biggest regrets about season two is that he's not going to be in it. Yes. Like, like I, when I, I didn't realise either that they were talking about season two being set at a, a different White Lotus location, and that makes mm-hmm. sense, I suppose, to change the setting and keep things fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, it's the sort of character that you wish could continue to be like the one constant throughout, just that mm-hmm. one little thing. I was also thinking if they kept it at this Hawaii location, maybe they can have the ghost of Armand haunt the halls or something like that. <laughs> but they're going to move on to something else. Because I agree, yeah. he was fantastic and like an iconic performance now. Were you aware of Murray Bartlett before this? Because he's an Australian actor, yeah? Yeah, I had never seen him in anything from Australia, but mm. um, I definitely recognised him from the other HBO show he was a main character in, Looking. Um, okay. Which is one of my all-time favorites. Um, that show was kind of like the gay Sex in the City, but um, not as um, well, not as ridiculous as that show ended up being towards the end. But um, yeah, uh, it only lasted two seasons, and then it got a wrap-up movie. But he was a very uh, different character in that show. He was a lot more soft-spoken and kind-hearted and uh, definitely um, didn't shit in anyone's luggage. <laughs> That's, that shot is fantastic. I kept thinking, I hope they put he puts that in his showreel. Just that, just that shot, <laughs> just him shitting in a, in a, in a suitcase. Um, I do think this is a potential like career-making performance <laughs> from him as well. Like to be, just the character is so good and he is such a, a magnetic presence on screen. Um, I could definitely see him 
getting some future roles from this. So that's good for him. Yeah, he'll definitely get a. He'll definitely be wasted in a Marvel movie in the next few years. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'll be a villain or something like that for sure. It's interesting what you're saying about him working in a service industry or hospitality as well. I kind of felt the same way about Belinda as someone who works in healthcare. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, I know patients like this as well, especially Tanya. <laughs> like I and the the stuff you hear and the way they talk about you and stuff like and I say that if any of my patients are listening I'm not talking about you um, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but there is like the yeah that and giving too much of yourself as well and that specific mm-hmm. line that needs to exist between someone whose career and whose job is caring for others um, mm-hmm. and how that line can get you can walk over it they can walk over it how that gets complicated yeah, that, that side of things was very relatable. Did you relate to any of the guests at all? To the guests? Um, I don't know. I definitely... It's probably for the best if you say no. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely moments where they were in the conversations and what they were saying. I was definitely could relate to some aspects of it. I think, like, obviously, I'm nowhere, nowhere as rich or as privileged as, like, Connie Britton and her family. Mm. But sometimes the way that, you know, they've gotten to a certain place in their life and they're enjoying the things that they've got and they don't want to be... They they have that kind of... I, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, they don't want to not acknowledge the fact that they are privileged, but they also want to enjoy what they have and the guilt that comes with that. And some of those conversations I felt were relatable, you know, like when you are going to these, you know, beautiful holidays and resorts, but you realize that there's people around you that don't like, this could never be an option. And like, definitely for us Australians going to places like Thailand or Bali it's something you deal with when you go on those holidays so, where so, the, so the which, guilt. Go on, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the guilt of like the, all these people around you that are making a dollar a day to sure. make you have this amazing holiday. So which part of that conversation? So who's having that conversation that you related to there? It wasn't Nicole and Mark because they kept basically justifying. It's like, yeah, imperialism happened or whatever, but... What are you mm. going to do about it? And they, I, I think they just like, you know, uh, celebrating their culture and stuff like this. And having never spoken to or interacted with these people outside of get mm-hmm. me a drink, please. <laughs> it's yeah. like that sort of the you can hear them having that conversation and believing it. And mm-hmm. at the same time, having to go, but you don't have to actually consider these things in any depth because you just get to enjoy the fruits of the position you were born into or mm-hmm. the money that you have. I think definitely more relating to Quinn and Olivia as the children sure. who like they have a bit more perspective and they're trying to marry the two concepts together. But like, and Paula calls Olivia out on it. Mm. Like you think you're woke and you think, you know, that you're higher than your parents, but really you're on the same the level. Same. Yeah. And that's the thing with this show. Like, you can see everyone's perspective. Even if it isn't right, you can see why they would justify it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you 
that's that's one of the wonderful things is that every perspective is believable, and that mm-hmm. I believe that Mark might have been that guy who did say, "Hey, that's not right." When it came to like the way women were talked about in his workplace, maybe he might mm-hmm. also be massively exaggerating that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can believe there are certain things that you would consider them good people, but that they are also protecting the the comfort they've got, and they've found a way to. To rationale that the 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 luxuries they get to enjoy belong to them in some way, or that they should be able to enjoy them, essentially guilt free. I acknowledge mm-hmm. they'll acknowledge that yeah, imperialism shit, but they're not going to do anything about it, or they don't mm-hmm. believe you can do anything about it. Or they convince themselves there's nothing else they can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some fantastic lines. The the Paul and Olivia stuff I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olivia sort of the realization that her wokeness maybe some of it is authentic a lot of it is more performative than maybe even she realizes Mm -hmm. there's the perspective that paula has on things because of where she comes from though i even think paula is sort of a complicated character who the like the moment where she dropped kai's necklace into the water off the boat Mm -hmm. after she knows that things have probably gone bad for him um, or maybe no, it was the second. It was the day after when they went. They she knew they were done because they were, they'd gone scuba diving that time, and she drops mm-hmm. the thing at the boat. It's like she's come in here. She's come to do. She thinks she's doing something to help people less fortunate than herself, but then ultimately risks nothing. Got this guy, you know, fired if not imprisoned, mm-hmm. and now she just has to go home. Like yeah. nothing bad happens to her whatsoever, and that. Maybe she had the right intentions, but she approached it never having to risk herself in any way. She never had to stick her neck out. She completely fucked up this guy's life um, and just gets to leave. I think and, it's pretty fucked up. And and we don't really know a whole lot about her. Like, we assume that she's, like, not as wealthy as mm. the family that she's vacationing with. But other than that, we really don't know if how much privilege she does have in the real world outside of this hotel and what her upbringing is. Like, you've got to make some assumptions mm-hmm. based on the interactions that they're having. But, you know, she could just be another uber-privileged person who's come in and destroyed this guy's life, pretty much. She certainly gets along with Olivia perfectly well, for the most part, apart from not telling her about Kai because she's afraid, and rightly so, that Olivia is going to want to take what she has, which is apparently Olivia's big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it's not stealing when you think that everything is already yours as a choice line. But I think my favourite one of hers was when Olivia said, like, this is fucked up, you, you know, they you arranged for this guy to come and steal this and something bad could have happened. And just the line, something bad did happen. And I just think that's such a, a really loaded line because it could be referring to Kai and obviously Kai is now, his situation is fucked. But it could also just be situ- like going back and in general saying a lot of bad things have already happened. The fact mm-hmm. that this hotel exists and you are here is a sign of the bad thing that happened however long ago it was when the land was stolen. Like bad mm-hmm. things have already happened and people are trying to make amends to that. I just thought that was a, a really, really choice line and said in so few words as well. Um, did you have any sympathy for Nicole or Mark with like Mark's ongoing sort of trying to figure out how to be... 
have a connection with his son, the stuff with his dad, his identity crisis he was having, Nicole being the punching bag, as she liked to say. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I do think that they had valid points. Like, at the beginning of the show, Steve Zahn, you know, had a cancer scare, which would be a big thing. And then he finds out that essentially everything he knew about his dad was a lie which would also be a big thing to have to deal with. Um, Like, and obviously the show takes it to some pretty ridiculous places, the conversations that he has when he gets, like, really drunk and has those interactions with Armand, which are hilarious. But um, The wink that Armand gives him the next day. Oh, so that was the biggest laugh for the whole show, for sure. Um, And... You know, as much as we make fun of that character and she definitely has some awful traits, being a CEO of a giant company would come with a lot of stress and, you know, responsibility. And she just wanted to be on holidays and spend a nice week with her family. And then she has these children that are being completely, like, awful to each other and not appreciative of any of it. And that would piss you off. But also, she's, you know, raised them in a consequence-free environment. You know, you lose your phone, I'll just buy you another one. Mm, mm. Um, all that kind of stuff. So, like, there's two sides. It's it's so everything is so grey. And it, there's apart from maybe Jake Lacey's character, there's very few characters in this show that you would really just paint as a bad person. Yeah, I think that's what's great about the script is that, like, you can look at uh, what they call the Montbockers or whatever it was, the yeah. that family Moss, anyway. Mossbacker, yeah. Mossbacker. Yeah. And in a broad stroke, you look at them and go, they uh, epitomize a lot of the inequality and privilege issues we have in society. Mm-hmm. But you can still, uh, you know, lean into or feel the the marriage drama that's going on inside that Um as well, and that those individuals do have problems. Where, how big those problems are in the grand scheme of things, sure, they might be tiny. It doesn't mean they're not big to them, though, and I suppose that <laughs> is something. Then you have a scene, however, where they're like telling their adventurous story about how they had this person invade their hotel room and mm-hmm. how he's a superhero and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, that kid who has been struggling to you know, win back the sacred land of his people is going to fucking jail because of that. But, you know, it was a big adventure there. They love telling that story at breakfast. And it, like, it's that constant, mm. like, shifting of perspective, and, and I, yeah, which I really well, like. Yeah, and another, like, perfect example of that is, like, Alexandra Daddario's character um, when she finally gets to um, sit down with Connie Britton's character and she's so excited to tell her that she wrote an article about her. Yeah, And then yeah. it completely flips and yeah. when Connie Britton realises that that was the article she didn't like about herself, like, that pretty much painted it that she only got to where she is because of affirmative action. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can see why Connie Britton would be pissed off if they wrote an article pretty much saying the only reason she is where she is is to meet some quota uh, like and then Alexandra Daddario even though all she did was copy and paste another article then gets her back up and refers to Connie Britton as a bitch and it's like even though Alexandra Daddario up to that point was probably one of the more sympathetic characters but you're like 
really right now, Kylie Britton's the one in the right, well, I feel in that, but you could also see as her being completely awful and rude, bringing it up and attacking this girl who's obviously in a completely different station in life, like in terms of her career. So, you know, every, every interaction has that complexity to it. And that's why I wonder about, like, if we look at this a bit more from a meta level, the way that this show came to be, the fact that it really only exists because of COVID, HBO reaches out to somebody, a creator, and says, listen, we have this, as you put it on last Mm. week's episode, we have this slot we need filled. Mm. We need to make it work within COVID restrictions. What can you do for us? Not necessarily like that moment of spark of inspiration i need to write this thing but like okay someone's giving me a job here are the restrictions what can i do and to create a piece of uh, um, a show that is written with so much gray and so much to dive into in every scene i think is it's just such a huge testament to mike white i'm mm-hmm. become away a massive fan that that it can be so dense um you've talked about rachel now let's talk about rachel the watching Every episode, like we said, there's a structure to the episodes. You know, there's waking mm-hmm. up, breakfast, going to the pool was Rachel's thing. Going mm-hmm. to the pool, having a conversation with somebody and feeling like shit by the time she left yeah. <laughs> was just was a really interesting like road to to watch her go down every episode. Um, mm-hmm. How did you feel about her story and where she goes and where she ultimately lands with her and Shane? Yeah, because it's, it's definitely one of those... She's definitely one of the most sympathetic characters. I would say after Quinn, Quinn is probably the most sympathetic. After him, she would probably be the second most sympathetic. We'll, and, we'll put a pin in in Quinn. We might finish with him at the end. I want to talk about him for sure. Yeah. Um. So it's just that she's in this situation and we as outsiders can see like this is doomed. Like you've made a bad choice and now you're <laughs> stuck with this complete piece of shit. Um, like, I'm sure that Jake Lacey's character would never review our shows on iTunes. And, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so you, I really felt for her. Um, but and I, and I can see how she got herself in that situation. And she I can explains see, it really well in the last episode or the second last episode, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, that speech that she makes uh, towards the end where she calls him a big baby mm. was amazing. Mm. Um, but then it's completely understandable why at the end she makes the choice to go back with him. Um, even though it's probably the wrong choice, you can see why she would make it. The show what, put the what, ground. What do you think the explanation is? Why did she go back to him at the end? Well, I think she's scared of what her life is going to be if she doesn't. I think she's put herself in a in a situation with her career and her life that, you know, putting up with this dickhead and living in the lap of luxury might be the best she's going to get. Do you, uh, do you think that decision hinges on the interaction she has with Belinda at the very end? Yeah, I think so, show? because it probably put a few things in perspective, like... There's so many people that would kill to be in the situation she's in. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can do all the right things in life and still end up a lot worse than what she's going to end up with. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And I did think that was sort of the takeaway as well. Like, she's 
she realised that in a way, not the way that she wanted, not the way she has dreamed of or worked for her entire life, she's kind of in a pretty good situation and maybe she should enjoy Mm. that. She sort of sold herself out in that way. Mm. And I can't say it's a good lesson, but you do look at like in comparative to other people in this show, but Linda's a good example and like Mm. fucking don't bite the hand that feeds you to some degree. Mm -hmm. Um but at the same time, one of the aspects this show doesn't really explore there is she doesn't. We don't get to see her reaction to what happens with Shane and Armand at the end. You know that he has stabbed this man, and maybe it's <laughs> that situation where it's simply that Shane was right that mm-hmm. he had a problem with this guy from the beginning. It turns out he was shitting in their fucking luggage and <laughs> invaded their room. Like, yeah. he was right. He was being a baby, <laughs> no doubt. He was having a tantrum, but the guy was fucking with them and he wasn't wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also we had that scene where Nicole is, you know, reconnects with Mark because he's the big, strong hero. And kind of that's what Shane's done as well. Is that part of what's happened here? It's. Yeah. I don't think it's missing from the show. I just think it's an interesting fact, um, thing that wasn't discussed with any detail. We just cut to her being at the airport at the end. But do you... So with this, the whole Shane Armon situation... Yeah. So... I have no I empathy for Shane. Shane's a piece of shit, and he and Armin's been pushed, and like yeah, yeah, like. But but that being said, if if Shane was charged for yeah. a more expensive room and didn't get it, and Armand refused to even give him the difference back, I don't because think he did refuse well, to give he, the difference back he, though. He did because at the beginning he's like, no, this is the room that was booked, so you have paid for the room that you got. So in that respect, as someone working in customer service, Armand did the wrong thing. Yes, he did. Yes. <laughs> he did yes. do the wrong thing. He did the wrong thing numerous times. He went um, out of his way to, to antagonise the guy. Yeah, and then as it got, went further, he did more and more shit things yeah. to Shane. Yeah. So, yes, Shane was in the right technically, but yeah, he went about it the wrong way. I, I, the, th- the funny thing is, it's like, yes... Like, to the letter of the situation, Shane was 100%. It was fair to go, you know, this isn't what we thought we were getting. What's the go? Can we get that thing? Can you compensate me in some way? Mm -hmm. But I also agree with Rachel. That's our fucking honeymoon. The thing we've got is amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why are we nitpicking this situation? And And, like, watching him go on and on and on and on about it. Every time that she was trying to have a discussion with him, he just kept getting distracted mm-hmm. by um, the situation with the room in Armand and then talking with his mother about it and the way he talks with his mother compared to the way he talks with Rachel and all that. Like, like he was a shitty husband, at, mm-hmm. ultimately. And there was this idea, he kept saying things like, oh, I'm getting the room for my beautiful wife. I want you to have the best things. Fuck off he was. That wasn't any of it. And it's... yeah. So, like, yeah, the situation is that the the White Lotus as a hotel might have owed him something, but his behaviour was a completely different situation, I think. That's that's a whole other level. And yeah. also, what I, one of my favourite details is that the pineapple room was kind of shitty. Yeah. <laughs> the pineapple room <laughs> was kind of shitty. Whatever the yeah. original one was, the palm, whatever it was, was yeah. way better. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> they, they got their way and it was this kind they of rubbish room. They got their plunge room. pool. They got they their, got their plunge- that was smaller than they expected, I think Molly Shannon said yeah. on the in the background. Like, and and oh, no, how like great was the whole like 
mother-in-law showing oh up to the honeymoon. God. It's oh. so fantastic. And just Alexandra Dario's p- performance was actually yeah. very good. Um, as an actress, I've only seen in like pieces of shit like the Baywatch movie and Rampage. <laughs> like it's so good to actually see what she can do. And like that that level of like rage under the surface, she just did so well. Um playing it nice when really she's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, just perfect. I agree. I thought she was wonderful as well. And like watching her, watching that situation for her unfold over the course of a week was one of the most clear trajectories. Just the Mm -hmm. way she was sort of chipped away at by, you know, arriving and being happy and content. It's just the wrong room just starts them down this path to mm. her going, what the fuck have I done here? Yeah. I th- and sh- I think she plays it beautifully. And just every like every interaction she has with a different character from um, yeah, the other interactions she has with conversations by the pool and stuff, just watching them all devolve. Yeah, she was excellent. Really, I, th- There was no weak link, though. Who was the yeah. bad performance in this show? There was, there was none. Everyone was fantastic. Zero. Zero. So before he made this show... Uh, Mike White had actually written a pilot for Jennifer Coolidge to have her own HBO show. And Mike White White says that it was the best script, the best thing he's ever written in his entire career, and it would have just been amazing, but HBO had one look at it and rejected the pilot. Um, So I wonder if he might return, come and go, (laughs) listen, there's this... I've shown you this once before. Just take another look for a second. Yeah. Well, he, he is still adamant that if it was made, it would be... Amazing. I reckon you should um, give it a shot because I reckon you might be able to find some cash there to do that now. So do you feel like Jennifer Coolidge at least got, you know, her moment in the sun in this show? Like- Fuck, mate. She was so good in this show. Mm. Um, I'm obviously aware of Jennifer Coolidge. If you've, you know, yeah, watched I mean, American she- Pie, how could you not be? like, Or um, the evil stepmother in Hilary Duff's A Cinderella Story. It's an iconic performance, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a pointed silence I put in there. Then. Um, no, I just... I, of all the performances in the entire show, no one made me laugh more. Mm-hmm. The entire... Some of her... Some of her choices or the delivery of lines, mother, 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 or like mm. there's just every scene. And it was... It's a weird thing where she was both like a clown that you could sort of laugh at and also, even though she was this woman with a ridiculous amount of money who was going to go off and she was off to a Honolulu the next day and then she was going to go stay in Aspen or whatever it was for two weeks. Like, this woman's got more money mm-hmm. than sense. I did kind of feel for her and I really mm-hmm. celebrated that she got to finally get rid of her mother's ashes at the end. That sort of dream, almost premonition she had in the middle of mm-hmm. the season came true mm-hmm. at the very end. And she, we can argue about whether... She has broken her patterns when she, now that she's with Greg and mm-hmm. obviously she left Belinda high and dry and that's a whole thing, but... Yeah, because, like, with the Belinda stuff, like, as soon as it started, as yeah. soon as she mentioned it, you knew where it was going. Yeah. And it was just that... And that's... The show knew that you knew. And yeah. it just is that slow descent and you could just see Belinda, like, building her hopes up and making that business plan you're like Belinda no yeah it's that watching that that slow car crash occurring and you it's like who's to blame in this situation obviously 
Tanya is not helping the situation by making the offer in the first place, right? Mm. She's a deeply troubled, complex woman who's got a lot of issues going on and Mm -hmm. there's no surprise that it didn't happen. And you want Belinda to succeed and you want Belinda to get this thing that's been offered to her. But you're also like, what the fuck do you think is going to happen here, mate? Mm. Why why would you even indulge in this fantasy for a second? It was never going to occur. And yeah. it's not her fault for being offered this once in a lifetime potential opportunity and taking her up on it. But at the same time, like, you've got it. You, that's very naive. So mm. there is, I, I was really, again, it, it's a sad outcome for poor Belinda, but. It was a victory that she said, "You want my advice? I'm all out." At the at, to Rachel, yeah. <laughs> and like that might that had a knock on effect to maybe Rachel going and spending the rest of her life miserable with with Shane. But <laughs> fuck Rachel right at that point, <laughs> yeah. considering what she's getting out of this. Belinda has learned a lesson, and she's not going to make that mistake twice. And that was a victory in its own way. And I really do, as someone who works in healthcare, really do feel for Belinda and like <laughs> being in a position where people lean on you. So much, and it can be a very fulfilling thing to mm-hmm. be able to support people and look after people and give people relief. Mm-hmm. But there, that that line is there for a reason, and it's part of you gotta, you cannot cross it. It's just you open yourself up to so much when you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that as soon as she went to dinner with her, as soon as she agreed to go to dinner, I was like, you've gone too far. You fucked yourself. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> So, how many clients have offered uh, for you to open up a wellness center? I mean, I've had people talk to me about whether I should be starting my own business and stuff like that. I don't think anyone's ever offered me money. Mm. Um, but also, I've had like that's the other thing that happens is there's a fondness that can build up. There was a mm-hmm. there was almost a level with Belinda with with Tanya's affection for Belinda that was was beyond professional. Right, mm-hmm. she she's looking for companionship all the time, and it's not the same as the companionship she was getting from Greg, but she was getting something from Belinda. Like that relief she got can be confused with affection, or can be, mm-hmm. and uh, that's happened. I've had mm-hmm. patients ask me out. I've had patients do all sorts of things like that. That's definitely mm-hmm. it's it's <laughs> tricky. It's tricky. Do you think? Belinda at any point actually liked Tanya or do you think she was just putting up with her the whole time? I don't think she disliked her. I, I think she well, she was definitely doing the professional, the thing she knows how to do is professional, which is like you've got to look past the faults and continue to be caring, right? She's really mm-hmm. good at that. That's what she does as a job. She's got to offer support and she's excellent at it. That's why Tanya is attached to her. Because mm. she's so good. As the same with Rachel. When Rachel comes in to get a spa treatment in the last episode and then mm. she sits down with her and gives her a glass of water and then then Belinda gets up to leave and it looks like she's left Rachel Hindry and she comes back with the fucking card and says, call me. Mm. It's like, she's really good at it. She's just bad with the line. So yeah. I don't think she... I don't think she disliked Tanya. I don't think she ever wanted to be best friends with her. <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. Um, I think we should talk about Quinn though, because yeah. Quinn is a really interesting storyline in that it's sort of like it's almost like the D plot. It sort of happens with very few words. It sort mm-hmm. of is just evolves in the background alongside much bigger, more dramatic storylines. What do you sort of mm-hmm. think the takeaway was with Quinn? Well, 
I think Quinn was the one shred of hope in this show. Like he was. Kids are all right. Yeah, he's the one person that actually learnt his lessons and benefited from them in the entire show, and really was the only one you could really say had a happy ending out of anyone. Um, he kind of was forced to disconnect from technology and mm-hmm. uh, all the games and everything that was consuming his life and actually learned to appreciate the surroundings that he was in and made genuine connections, it seems, with um, these people that were, you know, uh, paddling this boat Um and kind of wanted to break free from like kind of the toxic environment that he was in with his family. And yeah. even though his family felt like, you know, they staying with them is the best thing for him. He knew in his heart that, you know, he needed just to get away. And as viewers, I think everyone was on board and I, I was really happy that he got away at the end. I'm glad it was the last image um, mm. was, yeah, him paddling that canoe with, those other men and it's the it was like uh, he's quite a pathetic character to begin with you know he's just stuck in his games and he doesn't want to do anything he's not going to enjoy his time in hawaii and whatnot and olivia is sort of she's a bully but she you know she seems to stand for things you know she's against um racism and privilege and blah 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 but she returns to her tribe Mm -hmm. by the end of the season and Quinn is able to break free. Yeah. And he's going to do his own thing. He's going to, you know, experience the world away from his family. I 100% agree. It was the happiest ending of anybody. And you do... It was a big victory for him and for the show in general, I think. Yeah. And I think, like, at one point, Connie Britton, uh, in regards to Olivia, is like, you know, you're so woke and you stand for all these social things, but you won't, you won't be kind to your own brother. And, mm. like, you know, it was pretty fucking awful the way he, his story started where he wasn't even allowed to be in a bed in the same room as them and had to sleep in that awful hot room. Yeah. <laughs> like... I couldn't figure out, though, for a family that's so wealthy, why the fuck were they in a hotel room that had one bedroom? Yes. I, yeah, I, I didn't get that. could not figure it out. Is it because it was, like, a? it was called the Trade Winds? Mm-hmm. So, was it, like, a business suite or something like that? Like, it was made for that. That's why mm-hmm. Nicole got it. But then, like, miscalculated and then was like, oh, you guys can come along. There'll be a fold-out. We'll make it work sort of situation. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. I, I did have that thought as well watching it. It's like, why didn't they just get a second room for him? Yeah. <laughs> Rather than make him sleep in that kitchen. Bizarre. Um, and the girls, too. The girls were on a fold-out. It's like, what? There's not yeah. a multi-bedroom suite they could have had? Anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought the way he performed that character as well, like, was fantastic. He felt like a real kid. He felt yeah. like someone that age. The way he interacted with his dad, you know, in the way that kids do where they don't want to actually acknowledge that they give a crap about anything, but had those little breakthrough moments where he, you know, had genuine love and connection with his father mm-hmm. um, was really and like kind of indulged his dad when his dad was having a mini breakdown as well. Um, but I think there was a lot of humor to that performance. Um, yeah, like uh, Fred 
Hyhinger or Hikinger, whatever his name is, um, he's having a little breakout moment between this and uh, the Fear Street movies, which yeah, I thought he yeah. was definitely the best character in those movies as well. Yeah, sure. Best character? Maybe. Yeah, certainly because he's mostly in the first one, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was. I thought he was really, really good in that as well. They mm. were great little films. Way mm. off topic, but I, I enjoyed the first one the most, I think. I think so, honest. the same, but I really enjoyed how the third one brought everything Back together at the end. At the uh, end, yes. Yeah. The, start, the first hour was a bit like, this took a long time to get to where we did. Yeah. <laughs> Way off topic. <laughs> Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes, Paul? So I was reading an interview with uh, Murray Bartlett mm-hmm. and they were asking about the shitting in the luggage scene. CG, right? It had to be CG. Well, that's the thing. So they were asking him and he refused to tell them. <gasps> like that, It looks CG to me. Yeah. Like, why would you even want people to think there's a possibility that you really <laughs> shit yeah. in the luggage? <laughs> 100%. Wow. Uh, but, yeah, and I think uh, I read also that the, um, the scene where uh, Shane walks in on him uh, yes, I was. I was wondering how they part. did that. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was improvised. Like they they decided that that's the sex position he was going to walk in on. So, right. <laughs> um, but apparently they were very comfortable with each other, and they just made it work. So. <laughs> yeah, that that's, was, all that's all. That's all. That was it. Okay. <laughs> shitting, <laughs> shitting and, and ass eating. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's what you. That's what you bring me on that's for. That's right. That's what Paul was on the show for. Um, I've got a few side notes. Yeah. I did want to say I talked last week briefly about how I wanted more opening titles in shows. Yeah. And you went, oh, imagine in hacks if it was just a, it was just close ups on a microphone or something like that. Yeah. So what did you think of the opening titles? I for... thought these were really great. Like, I really liked them too. Yeah. The all the little details, like yeah. the the. Uh, the fruit slowly rotting and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, like storm building great. and the the even the guys in the canoe and like yeah, but really like with that theme song, you could put it over pretty much anything and it'd be cool. The theme song helped a lot, and that but that's what I mean. It's like why I like it in a show like this. It creates a sense, a, a certain mood before you mm-hmm. even start the show, really. Yeah. And while it does fit that, that like. There's close-up, slow-mo thing that a lot of shows do, especially HBO. Mm-hmm. The wallpaper, I think, was an inspired choice. Because, mm-hmm. again, even that, there's something a little bit weird and unsettling about that too. Just that sort of imagery and the way it's repeated and used as like... Yeah, I, it was a really good choice, I thought. Some of my favourite lines, anything but Reiki, of course, says Tanya when talking to Belinda about what treatment she wanted. <laughs> I have no idea why specifically Reiki. That's what I love. She does all this other shit, but Reiki's the one that's out the door. I love <laughs> Um, I, her trying to follow along to Belinda's Hindu chant, I thought was just oh, fucking it, hilarious. Yes, yes, so good. One of my favourite visual gags and moments of the entire show was when Mark found out that his dad dies of AIDS. And he yeah. says AIDS out loud and it cuts to a shot of Nicole on the bed and it's quite wide. And she's sitting there sort of looking at Mark with her glasses on, hands in her laptop, in her pyjamas. And she just, and I'm going to do this for you visually, Paul, just yeah. goes... And her jaw just drops a gate. <laughs> it's just the jaw. No yeah. other part of her face moves. 
just the jaw. And I was yeah. just like, I feel that moment for some reason. It was so funny. I don't know if you're going to mention it in your notes as well, but I loved the interaction when Olivia finds out about Mark's dad. And yes. then she's ta- asking him about his sex life. And she's like, well, he was probably a bottom because it's easier to transmit HIV that it was, way. He was a bossy bottom though. Yeah. Power bottom. <laughs> that made me laugh so much. It was so good. That follow-up as well, it's like that's, you know, him... That's kind of homophobic. And then Nicole's like, all his feelings are valid. It's like, sure, but it's kind of homophobic. <laughs> that was really good. Um, Jennifer Coolidge, when they're on the boat, just before she does this sort of eulogy for her mum, and she's got the champagne, she's got about half of it left. She can't scull it, so she just keeps taking sips over and over again. <laughs> Fuck. Like, laughed my ass off at that. Um, and then there was another bit where she, I think she's just met Greg and like... Mm-hmm. Oh, he's come to the room or something. And I think they've organized to go to dinner. And she's closing the door on him and she closes it. And just before it fully closes, she pokes her head around the edge of the door. And then, <laughs> I, she, incredible in this entire show. <laughs> I had my own money, my family money, says Molly Shannon, just to be clear. Uh, and oh, when Jennifer Coolidge is talking about like seeing the core of the onion and going like, just putting it all out there for Greg. And then he says, She's like, just get out of here. Like, leave. Fuck off. I told you to fuck off. He's like, no, I still want to fuck you. And I'm like, that is somehow the most lovely, unromantic <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Yes. Because <laughs> really you, totally ex- you, you totally expect him to just walk the fuck out. But. Yeah. <laughs> and even like the way he says, it's like, I don't want to go because I, I want to fuck you. It's like, okay, hold on a second. How much affection does he actually have for this woman? <laughs> sure, he wants to have sex with her, but is that the right response too? It's like, just a little bit off in the way it was said, but she was happy. Yeah. Um, I did wonder, and this is nitpicking, when things go wrong and Nicole's going to get back to the room and Kai's there to rob the place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not Olivia. Um, Paula didn't think to maybe text Kai and say, "Hey, maybe don't do that because they're on the way back." Mm. Because we find out in the next episode she had his number, and I was thinking maybe Kai didn't have his phone on him because he was at work. But Dylan mm-hmm. has his phone on him, who's some for some reason there, even though he told, um, he told Armand he wasn't going to be there the next day anyway. Yeah, nitpick. Yeah. <laughs> Shane asks Rachel at the start of episode six, do you want to get some brekkie? Is brekkie a US thing now? I thought that was an Australianism. Yeah, I, I've never heard it in an American show. Maybe uh, Murray Bartlett helped write that episode. Passed pass it on to him, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the last time 7-Up was name-checked in, a pop cult- in anything in pop culture. It got mentioned <laughs> twice by Nicole in that one scene. Uh, did you have any guesses along the way? Were you trying to guess who the person was? Was I was box. I was actually sure for like two episodes it was going to be Molly Shannon. Me too. When she said goodbye to them, I was like, is she here to like say goodbye and commit suicide in like an idyllic setting or something like that? Yeah, I was just that like- That was my thinking. Because it made sense because you you know that Jake Lacey has to be involved in, in it mm-hmm. some way. So I thought it must be Molly Shannon, but obviously wasn't. Molly Shannon was the top of my list for a while- Greg was the red herring with all the coughing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the obvious other ones were Rachel or Armand because of the knife next to the bed. And so it became pretty clear it was going to be one of those. 
Yeah, I think Rachel was definitely never like. I think everybody from the was beginning was like, "It can't yeah. be Rachel." Like, there's like, there's no way it could be so obvious. So. so when Armand was in the room and they they show Mark, he goes to the phone to call the police after he finds the shit in the suitcase, and they yeah. like the the knife is really obviously there. It was like, see, now I feel like that's the red herring. Now they're trying to make me think this is going to happen. It's not. Mm-hmm. And they did, and there's nothing wrong with that because yeah. the entire time I'm trying to like think ahead of the show, and I should have just it was obvious Shane yeah. kills Armand, of course, <laughs> or it was going to be Armand killing. Well, it couldn't be Armand killing Shane because he Shane was, was at the end. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, least favorite and favorite episode. What was your f- least favorite episode? Four. This is so hard. Uh, I nah, really easy. enjoyed. All- <laughs> I I really enjoyed all of them. I I, I didn't have the issues that you had sure. with the pilot. So maybe the last episode, just because it oh, ended okay. and I didn't want it to. <laughs> Listen, we've used excuses like that before. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to say episode one, Arrivals, is my least favorite episode. I actually mm-hmm. honestly think it's a great episode of TV overall. Yeah. Particularly, so what happened was the way I watched it, which might have been a blessing for me, is I watched the part the first time. I didn't really love it, but Steph kept watching. Mm-hmm. And so I'd seen sort of most of episode two, episode three, even little bits from later episodes before I went back and restarted. Mm-hmm. So I had a pretty clear understanding of at least what the trajectory of the show was. And yeah. so by the time I rewatched it, I was actually right into it. But yeah. on f- my first impression with the with the pilot was, I don't know what this show is about. And yeah. especially if they didn't have the um, media and res or in media res start, mm-hmm. I would have even less of an idea. And I worry that that's not a good story. But, you know, I was pretty wrong. But that's what I kind of like about the show, though. Like, it's not a show you can easily peg and easily, like, guess where it's going. And I sure. love that. And um, I love the fact that you you didn't know what show it was at the beginning. Like, I, I obviously that can go bad. Like, yeah. I can think of an example like The Witcher, where I don't know where the, what the fuck is happening. It actually pisses me off. But sure. this, like, I could, at least I, I understood what was happening in the moment, but I didn't know what the overall, you know, vibe of the show was going to end up being. Yeah, I guess the, I, I do think the responsibility of the pilot is to make, like, hook you in to, like, there's no, there's no hook at the end of the episode. There's no... Like thing that makes you go, oh, I wonder what happens next, or I wonder what that's about, or like just anything at the end of it. The uh, the mm. hook was the opening scene, um, but you know, I persevered and thank <laughs> fuck I did. What was your favorite episode? Episode four. I feel like that one is when everything really started ramping up, Agreed. and you really saw all the pieces go into place, yep. and then that ending where. Shane walks in on Armando eating that guy's ass. It's just the one of the best episode enders of all time. <laughs> it's like an oh fuck moment. And that was the episode where like me and all my friends like messaged each other afterwards like, oh my God, you just watched episode four. Um, so yeah, definitely that. I agree. Episode four, recentering, was my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where the sort of the privilege or like the we put some more focus back on like Kai and the natives and what this means to them. And Paula's storyline with Kai sort of takes off. And it's like, okay, cool. I, I'm glad that they're centering or, or they're finding a way to include this a bit more dynamically into the show um, and make it part of the overall plot. Then those big events at the end, I 100% agree with you. It like it pushes us into the last, into the finale. And the 
there's a couple of things that happen. There's the Armand bit, which I 100% agree with. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And particularly, like, Shane seeing them and the instant him going, oh, man, you're fucked now. And him, like, walking <laughs> away and laughing. It's like, I hate Shane, but I'm yeah. really enjoying how much he's like, <laughs> I've got this fucker now. Like, that yeah. just was enjoyable to watch. And then Olivia, I was like, I had a similar, like, what the fuck are you doing moment when she was talking to Kai? And, like, mm. Kai was not going to be baited by that shit. But I was like, fuck, you are a shit friend. And I'm, like, <laughs> am angry about you doing this. Do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns going forward into a second season of The White Lotus? Uh, the only thing I, I hope is that, you know, it's in a different location, but it's still in the same chain. Hopefully one of these characters from season one has like a, you know, a rewards membership for the White Lotus chain <laughs> and decides to come there as well. Like you could definitely see at least one or two of these characters making surprise appearance or even being one of the main characters again. Maybe yeah, you putting him in a different situation. Maybe Connie Britton comes there by herself on a business trip. I was thinking the same family thing. Or yeah. any of these characters or Shane and uh, Rachel want to redo their honeymoon maybe somewhere else. Or I'd be up for it. I, I do really like the idea of this being like kind of what they're doing with um, Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Right or any like it, it, they are they don't have to be murder mysteries obviously though this one kind of was, mm-hmm. but just. You know, it's on the Orient Express this time. It's on a fucking boat in the river in the on the Nile. Like just a whole different group of people in a whole different situation. I'll be happy with that. Just stunt cast it. Just find a heap of amazing talent and put them on there. Mm-hmm. Written by Mike White. I'm, I've just got a lot of faith in the idea. Again, my biggest regret is that Armand won't be there. Maybe there's a prequel. Um, and I think a lot a thing with the casting of this show. It seems like they're using all people from other HBO shows to cast this show. So that'd be an interesting thing. Just use, you know, like Jake Lacey, obviously from Girls and then Murray Bartlett from Looking and um, uh, uh, Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria. So I I would, I, I big on that casting, like get the people from all your other amazing shows and just shove them in this one. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you have any like locations you'd like it to be? So this was Hawaiian beachside paradise. I keep thinking like, uh, you know, into the snow, the mountains, uh, some sort of like ski lodge would be an obvious place to go. Um, maybe I've- like I can imagine like a wellness like um, meditation retreat or something like that might be another place you could go. Like, yeah. How thinking? about the um, intercontinental in Adelaide, and uh, then I can work on the uh, set. <laughs> I'll put yeah we'll 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 send a message to HBO and say Paul would really love you to do this in Radelaide please if you don't mind. Uh thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself Broderick Gordis on Twitter at B Gordis B G O R D E S Paul. Where can people find you? Uh, just search the Swapcast podcast on every um, social media platform, and uh, we got Facebook, Instagram, all of it, and uh, the swapcastpodcast.com, Or if you want to email us, it's the Swapcast podcast at gmail.com. 
I don't think I've said this enough on the podcast. Definitely check out the Swapcast podcast. I would recommend scrolling through and seeing what movies you recognize mm-hmm. and start there and then start just selecting any random old one because some of these films are absolutely batshit insane and are a lot of fun. I haven't watched... I, I've been mean to a few of the ones you've reviewed to go back and watch them, but I just mm-hmm. have a good time listening to you guys talk about it. Like, yeah, because like, a lot I'm of these I'm not going to watch films... My Brother the Pig, but I enjoyed you talking about My Brother the Pig. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these films, like, nobody needs to watch these films. <laughs> like, we're doing a service to you all, like, by just giving you the highlights, letting you know what you need to know. Yeah. Um, you know, giving you ideas of what to check out on YouTube, the small little clips of the crazy-ass sure. shit that are, that's yeah, in these Velo- movies. Yeah, Velocipasta Pastor or whatever is the one I need to have checked out some clips from, I think. Well, Velocipaster is a film I actually very much enjoyed, so I think you should watch the whole fucking thing. But, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> At least listen to our episode. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah. thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You already planned to be on as a guest, but to fill in as co-host today, I really, really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, we'll be back next episode with an off-topic hot topic, uh, and then again the following week to discuss sex education. Damascus should be back next week, but Paul, I think we discussed we wanted to have you on for off-topic hot topic as well because we wanted to talk about the Emmy nominations um, mm. and stuff like that. So would you, are you interested in a hat trick going three for three? Uh, definitely. Um, and uh, I've got some epic reality checks to uh, okay. go in with, you know, multiple too hot to handle seasons. Like It's going to be great. I saw that Too Hot to Handle got uh, renewed for a third season as well, I think. Yeah, and that- they're casting for it, which doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, because the whole thing is that people go on it not knowing that they're going to be on it. So Sure, right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, that should be good. We'll have you on for that. It could be a quite a big off-topic, hot topic, I think, because we haven't done one in about two months now, so it could be a bumper episode. Yeah. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.